but I have a word from the Lord for you this morning. And I would love to be able to share it with you. And we're going to be talking today. In fact, there's been a theme already that the Holy Spirit set as it relates to our faith life that I want to begin to build on. In the tale of two wolves, a Cherokee Indian was holding a conversation with his grandson. And the chief told his grandson, there are two wolves that live within you. One is bad and one is good. And the grandson looked at this wise chief and he said, well, which one is going to live in me? And the grandfather looked at him and said, whichever one you feed, whichever one you feed. Paul Tripp said this, there are many things that I wish were true about me. I wish I could say I'm never afraid, but I can't. I wish I could say that worry never interrupts my sleep, but I can't. I wish I could say that I never wonder what God is doing, but I can't. I wish I could say that I have never given in to envy, but I can't. I wish I could say that I am always aware that God is near, but I can't. I wish I could say that I never dread what is around the corner, but I can't. I wish I could say that I always have peace in my heart, but I can't. I wish I could say that all that I do is done out of faith and not fear, but I can't. But I can choose whether to feed my fear or to feed my faith. And that is very true. And that's the way we want to approach the thought this morning in the word of the Lord. Is what will you feed in your life? Will you feed that which is born of God, which builds your faith and leads you into obedience of him? Or will you live in this world that is encapsulated in fear and fall prey to what is going on with what you see around you? I have become very aware that although I know the Bible and the doctrine well, that there is still a battle that rages within me and probably within you as to how do we balance a life of faith in the real world in which we live. And if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 7. There's one verse that I'm just going to launch us into for just the next few moments. And it's a scripture that you probably all know well. It simply says this, we, being all of us who know Christ, we live by faith and not by sight. So, Father, as we approach this time in your word right now, I recognize that you have just a short time to do a work within us as you plant the seed of your word in our heart. We have been prepared through a marvelous time of worshiping the Lord. Your Holy Spirit has manifest yourself here today through a prophetic word and through tongues and interpretation, which tied together this theme well, knowing that you have a plan. And so, Lord, I ask that you would fulfill that in our hearts and minds as we give full attention to your word over these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I recognize that there is a constant wrestling match that lives within our hearts, we who are believers, as to how do we practically live a life of faith. And I want you to know this. A walk of faith means this, that faith is your lifestyle. That faith is your lifestyle. We live in a world of extremes, and there is a word of faith extreme which seems to try to teach us that somehow faith has become a currency that God deals in. And that if you simply have enough of the currency of faith, that whatever you wish God to do, he will act like a genie when you rub the lamp and he will give that to you. 
And so somehow we live in this idea that faith is, a, is an obstacle that if we can just overcome it, everything we want in life and in our lifestyle, God will provide if we can just reach that. The other extreme of that comes down to the point where you say, once I have received Jesus as my Savior, I somehow feel like he abandons me in life. And that I'm left to try to figure this out on my own. I'm left to try to hope that I have enough within me willpower to overcome the sins that beset me. Enough willpower to break the chains on my own. Both of those extremes are wrong. We are to live a life where we can seek the Lord's heart in every possible way. And he will practically walk with us through life. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point I'd like you to write down is practical faith. God meant for each of us to exercise faith, not just on a spiritual level, but on a very practical level in the day-to-day functions of our lives. To live by faith is this, for each of us to constantly think and act in connection with faith. If you think and act without faith or without an understanding of your connection to God and the trust that you have in God, that God is your source and that God is your provider of your life, if you think and act without that, then you are not living a life of faith and you are not walking by faith. In the context of growing our faith and trust in God, I want to share with you something that was a very interesting passage out of the book of Matthew. It's a situation where God begins to address in the lives of his disciples their lack of faith and that it was a problem. Matthew chapter 16 and verses 5 through 12, and I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation because I like the way it's worded. It says, Later, after they had crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered that they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were a religious sect that had different nuances to their belief, but he was telling them, you do not want to be like that. Verse 7, at this, the disciples began to argue with each other because they hadn't bought any or brought any bread. So understand this situation. Jesus is in a boat with the men that he has selected, and he is telling them, you've got to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the disciples instantly begin to think that he's talking about real bread. Leaven bread, yeast bread, warning them, even though Jesus was saying, I'm I'm addressing a spiritual issue, and they were thinking about their stomachs. What was actually being taught here is Jesus was trying to tell them the doctrine of the Pharisees and the doctrine of the Sadducees was one of hypocrisy. So just because you may be a religious person or a religious leader does not mean that you have a walk of faith. And they sitting in this boat, probably because their stomachs were beginning to growl, erroneously thought that he was talking about bread and it started a discussion that led into an argument. In fact, I love the way it's stated here. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't bought or brought any bread. In other words, suddenly Jesus is trying to give them a spiritual lesson, and they are looking at each other, blaming each other for who forgot to buy the groceries. 
We are in the middle of this struggle, and my stomach is growling, and I can't believe that it was your responsibility, your responsibility, and they're arguing about this. And I have to imagine, in picturing this scene, that Jesus is sitting in the boat, looking at his father, going, I can't believe these are the ones you chose. And it says that Jesus knew what they were saying, and so he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Do you not understand even yet? I believe that this is a question to the church. Do we not understand even yet and remember what he has done? And then he goes on to tell them this. Do you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then verse 12, then at last, any of you ever have at last moments with God? Like he just says it again and again and again, and you're arguing, and then finally you have this at last moment. Then at last they understood that he's not speaking about who got groceries, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's there's so much that we can unpack out of this because Jesus is trying to have a conversation with his disciples to move them from just being followers into ambassadors. He said, I need you to understand that there are larger issues in the context of life and ministry that you are going to be needed for, and you are caught up arguing in this boat about who bought the groceries, and they're caught up in their daily desire to just survive. Listen, church, we are surrounded in an environment in our world today where people are worried about just surviving. We have a virus that's going around and people that are living in fear because they just want to survive. And and we as the church have got to be very careful that we do not get sucked into the limited vision of the fear of the world and lose fact that we are called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking life and speaking faith into a world that's afraid of dying. Because Satan knows this. If he can keep you worried about your survival for the next day or the week or the month, you will be so distracted by anxiety and worry and fear that you will never move to the level of being an ambassador. You will always be worried about the groceries and not your relationship with God. And so knowing that Satan throws these fears at us that hinder us from representing God on much larger issues that will impact our society, our world, and eternity... He wants to keep you majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. So while they're going back and forth in this, Jesus begins to address them. And I love what he does here because he does the same thing in our life. He takes them back to things that he's already done in their life. How many of you have a history of God having been at work within your life in the past? How many of you know that he wants you to reach into that pocket of memories from time to time to remember what he's done so that you can have faith for the future? And so there are some of you today that you have been caught, captured, trapped in this image of I just need to survive and the Lord is asking you to reflect on some things. Remember when I was with you in that situation that you thought was hopeless. Remember when I opened a door for you. 
Remember when I provided this opportunity. Remember when I brought that person into your life. Remember when I turned a situation that looked hopeless. I turned it around and I spoke life into it for you. Remember, I have always been with you. And we begin to reach back and pull from the memory bank of what God has done. And he has to take us back so that we can recognize that what he's done in the past, he will do in the future. But here's what happens. If you don't learn that lesson, he will do it again. And he'll do it again. And some of you have lived in the circle of this, and you're wondering, why do I go through the same thing again and again? Because he wants you to learn the lesson so that he can move you on into what he wants to do. Every time God does something in your life, it's a lesson. And the lesson is one that you're going to have to have because you're going to have to apply it in the future. I guarantee it. And so he is taking them back. And this is the crazy thing. If you think about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, what you begin to understand is he is talking to men who were a part of that. They didn't just observe it. They were the ones passing the basket. They were a part of the miracle and everything happened right before their eyes. They were engaged actively, yet in the middle of it all, their world was shrunk down to the immediate. How many of you have ever experienced God at work of a miracle in your life? Sometimes you're going to have to remember those things because you were part of what was happening. By the way, I just need you to know that this message is setting up our missions emphasis that's going to be taking place over the next couple of weeks. I can't wait to begin to share with you some stories about what's happening worldwide that in the middle of what seems to be some of the darkest times in our world, the light of Jesus Christ is breaking through. Miraculous things are happening. And we, by faith, get to participate that in that with the faith promises that we fill out. And so this idea of enlarging our world and enlarging our faith is not about uh, groceries and not about bread, but about trusting the Lord who said, I will multiply everything you've got to meet the needs if you'll just be obedient. So God looks at these disciples and he recognizes that they failed to think with faith and as a result, they failed to act with faith. So they had heard and observed and participated in something that Jesus was saying to them, it did not profit you because you did not connect your faith to me with the actions of what took place. And so what does it mean to walk by faith? What does it mean practically? It means this. It means you think about everything, and when you do, you add God to the equation. It means that when you act... You act keeping God in the equation, understanding that he is your source and he will supply. When David faced Goliath, one of the fascinating things about that account is this. It tells us in 1 Samuel 17 that when he was facing Goliath, what gave him the courage to do that was the fact that he had already learned the lessons of how to be a warrior with a lion and a bear. And having seen those things in the past, he said, this uncircumcised Philistine is just like them. In other words, he reached back into a pocket of his memories and said, that's going to help me propel myself forward in faith. And God was able to use him in a mighty way. Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to them about anxiety and worry about material and physical things. And he tells us this in verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He said, these things that people are worried about because they don't know me, you don't have to worry about because you do know me. 
Your heavenly Father knows what you need and is waiting to provide and waiting to supply, but He needs you to trust Him and walk in faith. So God is, is building your faith all along the way, and you keep reaching back into the, the, the memory bank to remember the faithfulness of what He's done, which will encourage you to pursue and take the next steps of faith in the future. He's looking for our faith. You say, well, how do you know that? Because there's a marvelous passage of Scripture in, in Mark chapter 2 that talks about a group of friends that had a friend that was paralyzed on a mat, and they couldn't get to Jesus. The crowd was too big, and so I don't know whose thought it was, but whoever it is, I don't want them around my house. But they said, let's climb up on the roof and ruin this house. And so they got up there and ripped a hole in the thing and, and lowered down. And here's what I find interesting. It doesn't say that Jesus saw the man. It doesn't say that Jesus saw the stretcher. It doesn't even say that Jesus saw his friends. What it says is Jesus saw their faith. It was an observable quality that Jesus saw, and then he forgave his sins and he healed him. So this is faith on a practical level. Every decision we make, we involve the Lord in it. Every action we take, we involve the Lord. So having done that, then what does it look like then when our faith matures? When you're a child, for those of you that are parents, you recognize that your children from the time they are born and begin to grow up, they are learning to trust you. When they're, when they're infants, they're completely dependent upon you. And as they get a little older, they look to you as their source, their provider, their protector, their guide, and they're learning daily to trust on you. When my son Keith was just a little boy, last night we had our, our ordination service for the class of 2020 and 2021 because we didn't have a network conference. We weren't able to do that, so we had a service last night, and, and I was reminded of this because Dan Schmidt, who's the presbyter of the uh, Western section, was a part of my youth group, and his family had a pool in their backyard when we were youth pastors there, so we went to his house a lot. And my son Keith was just a little guy, and he... He wasn't big enough to swim in the pool without swimmies around his arm, and he uh, didn't like the way those made him look. And I remember the time when he's going, Dad, I, I can do this. I can swim across this pool. And, and I said, you really think so? He goes, yeah, yeah. You know, and his sister's in there swimming with her friends. And so he gets to the edge, and he, as he's getting there, I took the swimmies off his arms, and just before he jumps in, he looks back, and he goes, you're here with me, aren't you? You, you got me, right, Dad? You got me? I said, I got you, son. I got you. And so he jumps into the water, and I mean it is a froth of bubbles as he's beating his arms and kicking his feet as he's working his way across that pool. And about three-quarters of the way, I begin to see his energy beginning to slow down just a bit. So I just made a little quick dive, came up behind him, and I grabbed the back of his feet, and I shoved him the last two feet till he got to the wall. And he grabs the wall with both hands, and he comes up, and he goes, I did it! I did it! He did it because he knew his dad was there. Some of you are doing it because you need to know that God is there. You see, when we're children, whether it's naturally or spiritually, when we're children, we are learning to grow in trust with our parents. But what maturity looks like is when that shifts. As your children get older, it's no longer a matter of can they trust you, but can you trust them? That child turns 16 years old and wants to take your car. And you're going, okay. Or there's little boys that are running around outside and Royal Rangers are going to be serving you chili in a while. And some of you that are fathers of daughters, those boys are going to be asking you to take your daughter out. Okay. And so there's this shift that begins to take place. 
And these same children that learn to trust us, we now have to learn to trust them as they get a little bit older. And this is what maturing faith looks like for us. I don't live my life wondering any longer whether or not God is there with me, whether or not the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is, is there with me. I know that. It's a fact. I've seen it. So now I'm moving to the place where the Lord says, now are you there for me? Can I trust you? And so as we mature in faith, the questions are now asked of the Lord to us. In any given, given situation, can you trust me, God? Can you trust me with the responsibility of ministry? Can you trust me to be a good ambassador in a chaotic world? Can you trust me with the way I handle myself under the direction of your Holy Spirit that will bring honor to your name and not damage the testimony? Can you trust me to handle my finances and resources in a way that is obedient to you and God-honoring? As the shift takes place, the question is, no longer can I trust him, but can he trust me? Because that's when we move into the maturity of becoming ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Worship team, if you please come. Living by faith is knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God is there and He will do what He said He will do. Growing and maturing in faith is turning that around and having it ask you, can I trust you? And the reason He asks that is because of this. I'm the one with the weaknesses, not Him. I'm the one with the deficiencies, not Him. I'm the one with the impulses, not Him. And I want to build my life, and I want to teach us as a body of believers together that everything we do as we mature in faith is because God can trust us. But it requires us to take on a worldview that begins to see the opportunities that come. Every open door that God gives to you, it's because He trusts you. When God blesses you with something, it's because he trusts you. When he opens doors for ministry, it's because he trusts you. And then we live up to his trust. That's walking in faith.